Arms and welcome you're listening to the Sacred Footsteps podcast. Sacred Footsteps is an online publication and podcast devoted to alternative and spiritual travel, history and culture from a Muslim perspective. Join us while we talk to writers, historians, artists, as well as a whole host of other people about travel as a spiritual practice. Assalamu alaikum. Thanks for listening. Today we're joined by John Esposito. He's an Italian-American academic, professor of Middle Eastern and religious studies, and a scholar of Islamic studies with numerous books under his name. He served as a professor of religion, international affairs, and Islamic studies at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., He's also the founding director of the Prince Al-Walid Center for Muslim Christian Understanding at Georgetown. Thank you for joining. I know you're a busy man. Um I I myself I'm based in London. I think I mentioned to you I'm a I'm a writer. I also write some essays on Islamic history and science. And over the last few years I've been traveling and doing similar podcasts on Islam, I guess, more in the Middle East and the East, but recently more interested in Islam in the West, especially because it seems to be more now in more interest now amongst the young Muslims of Europe. And as a European Muslim, I find that it's becoming more pivotal that young Muslims like myself who are now asking the questions post 9-11, post the whole war on terror, what's going on now with Islam? Things seem to have kind of calmed down. So I think there's a bit of introspective reflection happening and and this is where your work, it's just so interesting for me because uh, as a, although you're American, there's a lot of similarities between between the two uh, experiences, though, though not entirely similar, but but that's that's what I kind of do. And uh, I'm also a, a writer and a poet, so I do poetry as well, Persian and Urdu, so my interest is also ah. cultural, beyond yeah. theology. So I, I'm kind of putting my hands into a few different things. That's... That's that's my brief introduction. That's good. No, I mean, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that the work that you you're doing, you would, you would also describe to me uh, briefly before. I mean, you, you you're hitting a lot of bases, and and that's the only way to have an impact. Just as when you're asking me the kind of questions you're asking me, you know, it, it, people if if people just address, let's say, one or two of these questions, well, you're getting a very narrow approach. To understanding Islam, Islam in the West, what the issues are today, etc. Um, so I, I think that you know hit, hitting all all kinds of topics and media uh, and putting that all together, I think you know can can make a big uh, you know can make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that point you just made is really interesting because what I found is whilst I was growing up, I also lived in New York for for a brief period, so I had this experience of living in the North American experience as a Muslim, and I found that fascinating because there's a whole demographic difference between the European experience of a Muslim, which are typically demographically different to the American. Mm. I think you probably can expand on that. But as a European Muslim put into New York and Jersey for a small period of time, I was fascinated because I found that the Muslims typically in, in the East Coast, at least in, in the West Coast, just seem more educated. They seem more they seem more broader and in, de- in, in, in depth in terms of their cultural experiences and integration as an American, whereas as a European, we arrived and we were never really pushed to integrate. We were, we were being told you need to integrate, but there wasn't really ever a clear reason why we should integrate. There isn't a dream like the American dream. There wasn't, we don't hang flags. We don't have this idea of this is a dream we should all be aspiring to. So I found that I became more culturally assimilated within one year of living in the U.S. than I had done 
in the past <laughs> years of living in London because over here we don't address these things. So, like mm. you said, we need to hit these points because we are kind of in our own independent little tribes even now. Mm. And this is where your work for me has always been pivotal because I this is the first book that I read of. I think you edited this. This is called Islam in Transition. Yeah, yeah. This was this was my this is probably the first book that I bought as an adult. <laughs> and it changed my changed my perceptive per, perception on well, hold on a second. We have this rich history of scholarship which deals with questions of modernity, democracy, secularism, philosophy, and you um kind of brought together these essays in one book. And I just thought, okay, there's more to my my heritage, and I'm learning of this through you. And uh so I grew up with your work and I and I and I thought. Let me let me speak to John and see if he's interested. So let's just expand on that. How how has your work? Um, and I'll go into the questions. You've been studying Islam for a long time. How many years has it been now? Decades, I guess. Uh, quite a few decades. I started studying Islam in the early 1970s. <clears throat> I finished my degree in 1974. Uh, and just for background, uh, because it, it Im impacts on the question of Islam, both here uh, and in the West in general. Uh, in those days, uh, when we talked about religion, for example, um, in, in America, there had been a, bo a book that was published right around that time, late 60s, early 70s. It was really getting out there. And it was called Protestant, Catholic, and Jew. And what was new about it was that this sociologist of religion was really now talking about the Catholics that arrived. So the, these were the three religions, you know? Uh, and so religion, wasn't seen in terms of Islam in in in, in any way and, and Muslims. It wasn't that we didn't have Islam and Muslims here, but in, in a way, uh, the, the issue we had here was similar to a few years ago, I uh, I uh, spoke uh, to the uh, sort of like the Foreign Relations Committee in Australia, and the, the chair of the committee had been brought to Australia from Greece as a young woman and grown up. And she said, when we were talking about Muslims then in Australia and how they were being viewed, she said, well, you know, before 9-11, people were identified by their their ethnic background. If, quote, you know, they were foreigners or a foreign background. So you were Greek, you were Egyptian, you were Lebanese. She said, but after 9-11, it became, you know, the word, the generic word Muslim, you know, and, and then as we know, after 9-11, um, it, it was very common to get into words like Islamic fundamentalists. Now, when I got into the field, there were no jobs. So when I finished my degree, um, the uh, only reason I could get a job was that uh, I I had studied four different religions in, in, in the sense that part of my uh, autobiography is that I had uh, wanted to be a Catholic priest from my youth and had been um, spent 10 years uh, basically uh, with the Capuchin Franciscans. Uh, never ordained, but that's what I did. And then I also got a master's degree around the time of Vatican II or after Vatican II uh, in theology. And I, I was teaching Catholic theology at a Catholic school. Uh, but when it came to doing the degree in Islam, there just were no jobs. I, I, I basically got a job to teach world religions. And it was the one job that was kind of available, at least I felt at that time, in the country uh, for me to compete for. Uh, but even when I got the job and I started teaching there, let's say 1972, uh, um, I didn't really teach a whole course on Islam until pretty much the Iranian Revolution. 
even doing world religions, when you were getting beyond Judaism and Christianity, uh, uh, was um, uh, not really seen as a market for kids, you know, for for the young people, because uh, religion was 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 not taught in our schools or interest in it. That and that, of course, included Islam. It was not uh, seen as important in diplomacy, and so it wasn't until um, you know post nine eleven that you read, then had government uh, looking into and trying to understand uh, Islam and Muslims in terms of the interaction of religion, politics, society, and, and culture. It wasn't present in our professional organizations in any significant way. The Middle East Studies Association, you know, basically uh, it didn't have really any significant place there. The American Academy of Religion, um, it was basically Protestant, Catholic, and Jewish uh, in orientation. And in fact, it was my mentor, Ismail Al-Faruqi, and a number of us graduate students who had to petition the AAR uh, to have panels on Islam and 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 to prove over a period of a number of years that this was a workable or doable thing. Parenthetically, I later became president of both associations. But in those days, all of this was marginalized. No visibility really in media in any great way. Sure, there was stuff about the Middle East, about Muslim countries. But in general, other than maybe a story with a picture of a Saudi woman who's completely covered, et cetera, religion at that time was not seen as a variable. Uh, the phrase at that time was very well captured by a prominent uh, social scientist that, that did a book called The Passing of Traditional Society, right? And in it, he said the choice for Muslims would be Mecca or mechanization, you know, religion or yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that was so this was all really kind of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, of new. And, and it was really the Iranian revolution uh, that, that gave me a career. Uh, I had sent out book uh, proposals, only three out of maybe 50 answered before the Iranian revolution. And, and the answer that I did get was great idea, no market. Uh, after the Iranian revolution, in five weeks, I signed three book contracts. And then it just took off from there. So, that, so that it also is important to understand, therefore, that the engagement with Islam in many ways and, and for many people and, and Muslims was the scenes of, from the Iranian Revolution. You know, America held ca captive, but also the symbols, you know, of, of basically across through the West, through the Soviet Union, I mean, X's and then Islam as the as the option in many of the, the symbols that you would see. Uh, for example, in Iran, when I, when I would go there. Um, and, and so it, it really was against this background then that the approach to wanting to understand Islam uh, came through this threat. For many, the engagement was that he looked at TV and almost every day you saw shots of people in the streets of Tehran chanting death to America, you know? And yeah. so the, therefore it became that kind of globalization of that event. Um, and sadly, just as happens then later on when it comes to 9-11 and ISIS, the failure to distinguish between A, what, what are the issues, but, but very importantly, the failure to distinguish between uh, what a vast majority of Muslims actually believe and do and what some Muslims, a very small minority of the world's Muslims, but a very deadly and dangerous one, uh, do and and that's what captured then the headlines because as we know for media the phrase used to be if it bleeds it leads. Yeah, uh, this is this is really interesting. I just to 
kind of go back on some of you, what you said, because as as a, as a teen, when 9-11 happened, that's when I woke up as well. And I remember I, I moved to New York soon after 9-11. And I remember thinking, speaking to friends and family saying, well, now finally, at least it's bad news, but at least someone is talking about us. Yeah. And and but but see, so I grew up and now I find, interestingly, I I speak to some teenagers today who don't even remember the beginning of the Syrian war. And that wasn't that long ago. So this kind of reset that happens every few decades with with this world events, and but so as a as somebody who went back and studied, it's interesting you say 1979. I guess the revolution was the beginning for many many people and from the academic side, but now as someone who's who's kind of grown up and read a bit more about history in the U.S. and and Europe, it's it's interesting because if you look at if you look at the interest in Islam. It's almost like, is this because of eraser or just denying that Islam even existed in the peripheries in the U.S.? Because if you look at the Nation of Islam, for example, like Malcolm X's movement or Elijah Muhammad's in the U.S., um, that's at that point, that was kind of the first, for many people in some places, the introduction to military Islam or black Islam, right? Exactly, exactly. And, yeah. in, the, in, and in European literature or European academic space, it was more... I mean, we had hundreds of years of Oriental literature about the East, whether that's through Napoleon's work. And I'm currently reading a book by this guy called Alexander uh, um, Bevelkwa, I think. It's called the Republic, the Republic of Arabic Letters. And he's kind of talking about how Europe in, interfaced with Islam from the very beginning and how it was kind of a, we had this almost period, small period in which Islam became almost accepted as a Judeo-Christian. Well, they said, well, if we can accept paganism as a, as a, well, it's they're misguided, but there's some good truth in it. Why can't we accept Islam? Because Islam is Abrahamic in many ways. And so there's a small window in, in which Islam was almost accepted within this Judeo-Christian space, but then it was rejected. But for, for the last 1,400 years, well, less than that, we've had this scholarship acknowledgement, at least in Europe. And mm. so I found that fascinating that when I grew up, for me, the same as what you just said, Islam was a revolution. It was 9-11. It, it is... 2007 in, in London bombings and now it's the Syrian war. What has caused this kind of almost amnesia of Islam? Because Islam has been in the U.S. as you know for hundreds, hundreds of years, right? Yeah. Is, is this just basically saying we are a Judeo-Christian? Which I think I've seen your lectures and you said you've said that Judeo-Christian itself is a new concept. It wasn't Judeo-Christian; it was Christian, and then Judeo came in after the Second World War. So, did, do we have to go through a similar experience as the Jews for us to be accepted as this Judeo-Christian Islamic? Well, I, I think that the you know where the the different the, the difference is that uh, for uh, for Christianity um, from a certainly from a, a, a if you will a religious point of view scriptural point of view Christians accepted <clears throat> excuse me uh, both the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, that didn't mean that they accepted Jews we have you know we've got everything that runs right up you know, run, runs up to the, the Holocaust. I think the difference in experiences, uh, uh, first of all, a really great book uh, is a new book by Peter Raborn. You may have heard heard of it. It's called The Fate, F-A-T-E, of Abraham, Who Speaks for Islam. I mean, it is unbelievable. Peter, Peter touches on a lot of the points that you would be interested in. I mean, he looks at not only, you know, he looks at the history of the encounter of the West with Islam, uh, at various junctures and takes it right through European colonialism with, with great detail uh, and, and, and looks at, you know, basically the experiences in, in the U.S. Um, and, uh, and in Europe, uh, and particularly with, with uh, the U.K., 
uh, and he writes so well and 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 he'll 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 tell you even though you've read a lot and you know a lot he'll wind up either reminding you of or telling you stuff that you weren't fully aware of that was going on historically you know what i mean so that one really got a sense of how did the British really, for example, look upon Islam and Muslims, you know, right up to Churchill and others, you know, and and also with the Americans, you know. It, it, so it, 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 it's, it's, it's very, very, I, I think, um, you know, in, important more and more to get a sense of uh, that, that past. And I think that, that that is kind of, you know, happening uh, in recent years for a variety of reasons. I mean, um, one, you are finding more and more that scholars are talking about the need to get beyond Orientalism. You know, um, I, I don't know if you've seen it, and certainly you wouldn't you wouldn't have purchased it because it's exorbitant. They haven't brought out the paperback yet. But uh, a group of scholars did a feshrift for me, and the title they chose was "Overcoming Orientalism: Essays in Honor of Me." You know, my name on the book. Oxford published it, and and in their essays. It becomes, you know, important because, as with others, there's a need to really re-examine. I mean, sure, th th there's always been a sense for, for you know, many of us, if not all of us, uh, about the problems with Orientalism, whether it's Edward Said or it's just even from the, the point of view of the study of Islam. Even when you had good, good scholars studying, have the situation where, for example, one could be an authority on Sufism. And, and it would be basically because the people were they could be sitting in the UK and just just had access to texts, you know, and, and they so they could translate these texts. And this is what Sufism is rather than really being on site, you know, and and uh, and, and, and involved uh, and a good deal of, of Orientalism was was obviously influenced by the history of the period, which was not just what the government said, but it was that the majority of, if you will, the. The, the significant players, even intellectually, you know, the professors, the authors, the writers, you know, for many of them, uh, with with a few exceptions, uh, you know, Islam and Muslims were it was seen as a foreign world. Now, let me just jump to something. You're going to have to do a lot of editing for me. Let me just j jump to something to just point out to you with regard to what you said early on about your own uh, autobiography and the experience, the difference between Europe and America and the UK, let's say in America, you know. One of the things you got to ask yourself is, you know, what until a number of years ago, what what did most European uh, many of the European countries share in common? Uh, what, what they shared in common was that their population and the history of the vast majority of their population went back in many cases centuries, and they were white, and they spoke one language. If you were a Dane, a Swede, or a Norwegian, okay. And, and, or you were going to, the expectation was you were going to look like a Norwegian or a Sweden, Swedish, etc., and you were going to speak that language only, as it were, you know. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of that ha has begun to change. But how much has that really been absorbed? I think that the 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 extent to which Islamophobia has been uh, an issue in the UK is kind of fascinating to me, uh, in the sense that Muslims have been in the UK for you know, for quite a long time. Uh, but but I think that although many of them are now becoming, you know, more accepted, that for a good deal of the time, it was still always, this is a foreign group and foreign religion. And and if anybody who was white converted, it was somehow it didn't, it didn't, it didn't connect. Mm -hmm. And also not always, but 
almost always. In academia, uh, you didn't see, even if, if you had, let's say, um, a white convert to Islam who became a scholar of Islam, they would often complain that they didn't get any shot at positions that were opened up in a university. That's that's changed significantly now. That's a really interesting point. Just on that, I was reading um, something recently on this, and the idea is that if you do study, let's say, Islam in university in London or the or the UK, if you study Buddhism, the teachers typically would be a Buddhist teacher, and 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 that's completely accepted because they understand. Mm. intimately the the subject matter in hand same with christianity but if you were studying islam to have a muslim teacher was almost seen as a bias well you can't trust them they're a muslim of course they will say this which is a very interesting paradox and it's not something that's often touched upon in the academic space and and the idea that we we can't separate i mean you know like you said with orientalism how can you trust a, a frenchman or a germanman sitting in in europe to understand sufism without experiencing and practicing it and and this and this, this separation between academic study off and practice off and intimately understanding something is 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 very important because a lot of Muslims today are learning Islam from these books. And, yeah. and I always yeah. I, one of the things I would mention too is that what was unique about the Temple University program that I joined it was a new department of religion. But what was unique about it compared to others was that it was a a, a department. That of really the study of world religion. So you had within the depart, department a faculty uh, that that taught uh, Catholicism, a faculty that dealt with Protestantism, etc., and and the different religions. And the requirement was that you either had to be born in the faith, you didn't have to necessarily continue to you know be practicing, but you had to be born, let's say, and raised in the faith, or a convert. And so in my case, that meant that. I was going to be studying with a Muslim, with Ismail al-Faruqi. And if you were doing, when I took my Hinduism course, uh, I studied with a Hindu from India. But when I took my Zen Buddhism course, it was with a Zen Buddhist who happened to be born, uh, who was white, Italian-American, but studied with one of the top Japanese scholars in, in the world at the time. And he was he could qualify for the job, not only because of the academic side, but he had to, there had to be the Zen Buddhist dimension. Uh, in, in most of the universities in my time, I would almost say the temple may have been the first place where you could do a PhD uh, in in uh, in in religion and in Islamic studies. For many scholars who were in Islamic studies and maybe teaching in religion departments, they often got their degrees at universities in a history department. Okay, that's really interesting. I th I feel like that's changing now. You're right. It is changing. And on the one hand, what we have now is. If you look at California, we have Zaytuna College, which is set up mm -hmm. by Hamza Yusuf. And now in Cambridge, we have uh, the Cambridge Muslim College. So we have this very, I guess, very uh, liberal arts Muslim colleges being opened up to cater for that specific um, area of expertise. But Temple does sound like it was it was, it was was doing something which is very unique. Just, just one more thing. I want to go back to briefly mm -hmm. on the idea of Europeans looking, you know, European or the idea of being white and speaking Latin or, or German, whatever the language may be at that time, I there's a it's a really interesting concept because Islam has been in Europe since seven eleven since seventh century really right almost I guess late early eighth century. So the idea of Muslims being new to Europe historically just doesn't doesn't add up. But of course the immigrant experience changes that, and we see it as well. Now you finally arrived to Europe, but for many for many ways in many ways. The idea of the Europe didn't really exist, right? It's, the idea really came up as a response to 
I guess, a conquest of Europe from, from the Ottomans or the Muslims saying, mm-hmm. we have to come together and make an identity and we'll call it, you know, the idea is we are not who they are. This is kind of expanding on the idea of Orientalism. So yeah. if the Romans had Egypt and North Africa as in their empire, for them, there was no difference between an Egyptian or a Greek. You were still a Roman citizen. Now, mm-hmm. you may have privilege and priority if you're Greek Roman, but if you were Egyptian, you were still considered a citizen. Mm. So the idea that Europe kind of constricted itself into this landmass and said, now all of you are non-European, that that kind of really stands out to me because in many ways, Muslims have been in Europe for since since seven, eighth century. And, and now, for example, Madrid, a lot of people don't know Madrid is the only European capital founded by Muslims. It's a Muslim city, historically. Mm. So mm. for in a lot of his ways, I... As somebody, and and this is the reason why I'm saying this to you is because I feel like Muslims now, especially younger Muslims, we've kind of gone past this post 9-11 identity crisis. Now we're looking at, well, we're here to stay now. This isn't a temporary thing. They can't, we, we won't leave. This is our land. We are European. We are American. And we no longer have to define ourselves in terms of being apologists to, you know, any terrorist mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. Where do we stand as Europeans and as Americans? So America has a rich history of Islam beyond you know beyond um, the revolutions in uh, in the middle east it's the question is how do we fit in so with your work especially around discussing i, I guess you kind of fill that space up in in a way that was positive i mean it wasn't intended to be a positive spin on things you were just saying things the way they were which were quite controversial at the time i remember reading your work and thinking is is john really able to say this stuff and make it yeah. in in the curriculum because I'm I'm amongst a team of people who work on this podcast, and and I said to them, "Do you guys know John?" And all of them were like, "Yes, he was in our curriculum," mm-hmm. and and that's interesting because we don't have that privilege um, anymore. Now, when you want to study beyond beyond uh, political, you know, Islam, we don't have that rich history of well, let's let's go into the theology of Islam. Let's go into like, for example, this book called Overcoming Orientalism. Like this, these are the topics which, in my mind, are now the next steps after defining yourself as a post 9-11 Muslim. Yeah. Are you yeah. finding are you finding a new space for that message with your work to say? Yeah, I I, I think that, you know, I mean, I, I think that this the, the space has changed so much. I mean, even at one level, one of the examples that that, that I I like to give was um you know oh about maybe I'm trying to think that maybe eight or nine years ago when we were doing a search the three finalists were all Muslim. And Jonathan Brown, who's a Muslim, was the one hired, but the three finalists were Muslims. Whereas in the years before, you didn't have, um, you know, uh, the, the kind of constituency, Muslim constituency, that that had the degrees and, and was visible, you know. Uh, and, and there are a lot of reasons for that, uh, you know, including even a very kind of common human reason. I remember speaking at UCLA, oh, again, a couple of decades ago, and uh, and, and it was to a, a fair number of people in the audience. It was like a small group. I did a big thing, and then we did this small thing, and there's so a number of, of of basically Muslim Muslim students who were there. And I said something about, well, you know, my experience is that for, for many, uh, uh, you know, for many Muslims, and this is also true in, 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 in some other cultures also, uh, for their parents, uh, the ideal spouse is a doctor, a physician, you know, uh, and and that really is the ideal. And then and then maybe below that, you know, you might be talking about a an engineer or a, or, or a lawyer or what, you know. But it's the doctor. 
And and if you said, if, you know, um, uh, if you were a young person who was a Muslim to your parents, when it came time to go to university or when you were there, gee, I want to study Islam. What, what your parent would say is, you know, no, we'll get an imam to teach you your religion. But, you know, really, you should be in terms of your life's work. It should, it yeah. should be. And two of them raised their hand and laughed and said, that's exactly what we ran into. We were in medical school and we decided to switch. And our parents, you know, were thinking this other way. But but you also had the problem back in the day that for uh, there, there were also issues about uh, a certain level of discrimination that, that that could take place when one was uh, trying to get into a program or when, when you were trying to get a job. Uh, I had a former student of mine. I won't mention his name. He's, he's become very prominent, uh, both uh, as an academic, but also as somebody who was also uh, in, in, in government at one at one point. Um, but he did a, a degree at a first rate university um, and uh, in the U.S. Uh, and and published very heavily and published with outfits like Oxford. Uh, but his first few years trying to interviewing for a number of jobs at, at, that should have been he should have been a shoe in at, you know, uh, it didn't work. And, it, and then it just took a number of years before he finally was able to break into the system. And then he fast tracked. So there, there was also an issue that that people in departments, depending on what it was, wouldn't have been uh, comfortable. Uh, I, I remember one of my classmates uh, uh, interviewed at the University of Pennsylvania. Now, this was under a, a particular chairman that was there who was a, a first rate scholar trained at Yale. Uh, and uh, but um, in his department, uh, one of the, when he hired whoever taught a religion could not be a member of, of that religion. You know, it could not be somebody born just the opposite of temple. And so when he did get the interview, the person said to him, do you believe this Quran is the word of God? You know, and he said, yes. And that became, you know, th that would have been an issue in, in that, in that context. Um, and, and for others, it was just that the Academy was dominated by white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. You know, the American Academy of religion, when I used to go and they were, they were fine scholars and good people, et cetera. But, you know, they were white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Uh, most of them uh, were, were you know, were, were obviously trained in the, the relevant sort of, you know, uh, religions that, that that they represented. Uh, and their their approach to other religions was, you know, when you get we're getting into in the early days when you're getting into Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism, it was peripheral. It was peripheral because it wasn't even, it wasn't being taught in the schools. You know what I mean? It was in most colleges and universities. Now, all of that has changed. I get students who come to me uh, at Georgetown and they're first year students and many of them in their world history courses in, in, in high school or in whatever context, they have already dealt with religion and history and they, they may have taken a course on the Middle East and, and dealt with Islam. You know, some of them have actually studied Arabic if they go to some of the top sort of prep schools. Uh, all of this, you know, a lot of this is all new. I mean, the world, it's been a sea change in terms of the number of scholars. And that's an important point. You know, what 9-11 did uh, was, was bring the attention to Islam. But by and large, it still remained, uh, uh, as people wanted to learn, it remained a small number of us that would be, would be then turned to, uh, to, to give them the information because there still weren't a lot of programs that were... Uh, uh, you know, admitting and training a lot of students in Islam, mm -hmm. you know, to, to be scholars of Islam. 
And so I you often describe it as uh, 9-11 uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Iranian revolution and or 9-11, it was like being at a smorgasbord with a lot of food, you know, and then the, and then you might get more food when, you know, or interest. OK, but but basically the constituency of so-called experts, particularly experts on 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 Islam itself or people trained in Islamic studies was a small group. Today, it's much larger. If you look at the, for example, professional groups like the American Academy of Religion, you have all kinds of panels dealing with all kinds of aspects of Islam and Muslim history, etc. And the same is true for, for other religions. So so it is, it's changed a lot today. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good, I think, summation of what's happening. Uh, I, I've, I have the same feeling. I have books now on my shelf that I couldn't purchase 10, 15 years ago. So I grew up in this vacuum of reading translations that were mistranslated or mm. books that were essentially, if you go to a bookstore, it was all about what is wrong with Islam, Islam and democracy. Yeah. Questions that I didn't particularly want to hear answers to because for them, for myself, they didn't really matter. But this is what the industry was. And this mm. is where you filled in that gap, I think, so wonderfully. I want to bring in Christianity for a second because I, I you, yeah. you have a specific expertise in my field and I don't particularly get to speak to people who are as well versed as you are on this topic. Now, in Europe, if you look at the, um, there's a scholar, so if you, I don't know if you know Abdul Hakim Murad, he's, he's, uh, yeah. of course, oh, yeah. he's the preeminent, you know, very, very um, prominent scholar here. He recently published a book called Traveling Home. And this is about essays of European experiences, uh, of Muslim experiences in Europe. And, and he talks about this concept of modern fluidity, mm. the idea that what tradition we once we had in Europe is, is kind of, is kind of disappearing or sort of disappeared with churches now becoming yoga clubs or uh, restaurants. The idea mm. of having an anchor in in a society, for example, for England, it was it was Anglican, um, uh, the in English church, and now we're having to redefine Christianity to fit in with what the zeitgeist is saying, which is, for example, what is your gender, what is your position on gay marriage, so forth. Yeah. And and his, his opinion is Christianity has kind of had to make a decision. And at least in Europe, it's it's kind of pulled away from some of its core principles to not say things that are considered, uh, I guess, politically incorrect anymore. Mm. He's saying this has created a big problem because now people are lost and confused. Whereas previously they knew what they believed in. Now you're Christian, but at the same time, you kind of have to change some core beliefs because it's you're expected to. Whereas he's saying, of course, he's a Muslim, and, and there's a there's a bit of religious bias here. Saying, from an Islamic perspective, we haven't shifted too much away from the foundations because Islam is a little bit more, I guess, if you want to use the word stringent. We're more firm on this, whereas Christianity was more theological. Historically, Islam was always more spiritual or mystical. So the way we tackle these challenges is slightly different. What has been your experience on just this topic, quickly, if you don't mind just expanding? Yeah, I, I, I mean, first of all, I, I think I disagree with him. Uh, I mean, I, I, as a generalization, what he's saying is true, but, but, but the fact is that uh, uh, that it, the question will be where will Islam be on some of these hot button issues thirty or forty years from now? As you're getting into one younger generation after the other, born in society you know, et cetera. I mean, we know that, for example, th there are uh, younger Muslims uh, who have to, uh, who have a problem with the particular uh, mosque that they go to and what's, what's being said. Um, you know, it, it, it is, you know, as a Catholic, when I was raised, 
there was a sense of Catholics uh, on, on a lot of the major issues, birth control, abortion, uh, and also doctrinal issues, you know, the understanding of uh, the Trinity or whatever, as, as pretty much pretty uniform. And then within that, you could talk about some flexibility, but really on some issues, no flexibility. Um, and and that, that has changed, but it's been over generations. Mm. And so I think that, you know, his take on it, um, uh, you know, it, it depends on how you want to see it. I, I think that I think that where Murad is right is that um, depending on where you're looking at Christianity, uh, Christianity uh, is being challenged uh, in, in many different ways. And depending on the group, you have very conservative groups like the evangelicals, but then you have and, and Catholics are both conservative and not conservative. Um, and Muslims are are are. Are, are more, as he would put it, he would see it as Muslims are more, if you will, on the straight path, sort of in agreement. But there are differences, and there are Muslim groups, uh, and I've dealt with some of them, uh, and they tend to be, many of them would be uh, a younger generation, uh, but actually into a second generation. So some of them, the leaders are like in their 40s, let's say, uh, whose positions on a number of of, of, of issues uh, are, are, are not acceptable to the vast majority of of Muslims right now, that's the case. But we also have a phenomenon, and I wonder if he if he if he talks about it. That as with other faiths, you now have some in in the younger generations that are coming up who basically walk away from their faith. That is certain. Yeah, this is true. He does touch on that, and I ask this question not not to not for the sake of just just creating disparity, which is, mm-hmm. in, if you look at the U.S., the U.S. is more religious from a Christian, Catholic, Protestant perspective more than more than the U.K. Growing up, yeah. I I had almost no uh, Jewish friends. I had more or Christian friends. You know, I wanted them because I wanted mm-hmm. to at least have that understanding. If I'm living in Europe, I want to understand what is. What is what is it that you practice? And I found that more in the U.S. I mean, I would meet Mormons, for example, mm-hmm. waiting for a bus in New York, and I wouldn't, you know. So in the same book, Murad also talks about the idea that we do need this alliance between the Christians and and, and the Muslims, and this isn't some kind of some kind of a, a positive rainbow idea that we just hold hands and we and you know. And the idea was we are dealing with something that is we don't. We, as Muslims, we knew how to live with Christians and Jews, for example, in Europe. We knew what they believed in. But the idea of modern fluidity and the word he uses is we don't know how to deal with a, essentially a predominantly atheist society where the values are changing constantly. Mm. So he's saying Muslims, we've never had this experience theologically. We don't know how to deal with this. Mm. Um, and previously we knew. We knew how to live amongst the Christians, vice versa. And so the idea that we deal with these ideas or these challenges as a as a as an Abrahamic community is is critical, and and I don't travel to the U.S. anymore, but I kind of miss that idea that you 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 do have those conversations where you do understand not really the similarities, but the ideas we are dealing with tradition that we all share, and and that's and that's something that I find a little bit disheartening amongst my friends and and the community that I live in. We don't we don't have that anymore, and now we have this very strong. Muslim presence, which is like you said, is very we're on the straight path. This idea of self-righteousness, we are good, they are not good, we are guided, they are not guided, and we will deal with things in a very in a very black and white way, which really misses the point. And and essentially the idea is we deal with we deal with compassion. We deal with these issues of rather than saying you you are you know your uh, your faith is saturated, ours isn't the idea is we we need that we need we need to re- go back to those uh 
the similarities, at least as in, in a traditional sense. And uh, so this is this is something that I'm trying to focus on in my work that I write and travel is as a young Muslim growing up, we we can't think with this idea that Europe is doomed, America is doomed, and we are we're going mm-hmm. towards paradise, right? And mm-hmm. and this is this is I just want some comments from you on that because I, I find that we are going towards this lack of pluralism, at least in terms of how we view other religions. And uh, there's a really uh, there's an, another really good book. I don't know if you read. Or I can recommend. It's called um, uh, Islam, a religion, uh, tradition of ambiguity. What is it called? It's called a culture of ambiguity, and it's by uh, it's called it's by uh, a German man. I think his name is uh, Thomas Bior, and and he in in this book he talks about how Islam has always been a culture of, of pluralism and ambiguity, and this is why Islam kind of uh, prospered until we became very much about one one view one tradition and mm-hmm. we took we took all that uh i guess not really this uh kind of arguments or or uh, um different traditions out of islam we became very much focused on there's only one reading of the quran there's only one way to read the quran there's only one way to face makkah mm-hmm. and he said this this is essentially a a disease that we need to remove from our own understanding of how islam is practiced as somebody who's taught Islam, I guess from your side, you've been in this for decades. Mm-hmm. So if if I say to you today, John, I'm not familiar with Islam for whatever reason, I want to learn about Islam. How how would you start me off as a as a, you know say say I'm a I'm on the fence and I'm and I'm thinking of you know whether I like Islam or whether I I mistrust it. What what is the approach that I should be taking in in the Western scholarly tradition? Should I be reading some of your works? You know, what is what is the approach to now? I don't know if that makes sense. I'm kind of jumping all over the place. No, I, I think I think it, I think it is. I think uh, you know today what you can do today it, it more than you could do it in the past. Um, you could you can you can look at and engage with it through writings through. Uh, videos through i mean you know you name it social media uh a diverse group of if you will scholars of islam you know um and 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 that really wasn't the case before so for example uh i could recommend to students to read abdul Karim murad uh i could on on certain issues i could have them read John, jonathan brown for example if somebody uh, if, if somebody was interested in in muhammad if somebody was interested in uh, uh, Muslim attitudes with regard to um, uh, slavery, with regard to so you knew you had Muslim authors, but at the same time, I would recommend some some other authors who are who who might not be Muslim, but I wouldn't be doing it in terms of saying uh, I've got to do it in terms of the person's background. It would just be you know, uh, and, and that's that that's what I did. For example, when I did the encyclopedias for Oxford, okay, you know, I did the first, which is amazing. That that it, it it took into the it didn't occur until the 1990s that, that Oxford had its first encyclopedia on the Islamic world. Then I did a number of encyclopedias, and since then handbooks and other people have come in. But at that time, it meant that I, I had a large group of scholars and on all of these different topics. And then the question is, how many at that time existed who would be among the best and would would be Muslim, would be 
Catholic, Protestant, or a non non-believer, but a good scholar on X. Uh, and you can do that now on, on a lot of different topics, on women, on uh, so that there's that. And I think that that's when I recommend things to people, depending on the person, their educational level, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Um, then 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 you, you you are talking about a mix of things. And, and in in our social media age, it really does become important to uh, to have them engage with real people. And you can do that uh, with a lot of the 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 the. the the programs that are now uh, done electronically and that are accessible. So they're not only looking at a, at a text, uh, but at a, at a context. In the past, the context was more uh, uh, geographic. You know, I can remember when I taught when the first videos were coming out for people who were teaching about Islam. You know, uh, I mean, th- the situation was so bad at that time that I remember a young woman got in touch with me. She was going to be teaching someplace. And um, and she said, um, could I recommend something to read? And then what she wanted to do, she said she was going to use Houston Smith's book, on, which is basically on world religions, which was a great bestseller. But it, it, it was not, so, you know, it was something you'd read along with a lot of other stuff. But she said, oh, no, I can't do that. I can't have my students read it. That's going to be my book versus <laughs> the teacher to teach the course, you know. Um, so I think it's just we're in a different world. But I think the important thing is that among scholars, we had this problem with people who were not Muslim and who were scholars. Uh, there would be scholars in the past who would simply not invite a Muslim scholar to speak or or wouldn't see uh, that even, even though we didn't have that, 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 that other than classical texts, but in terms of modern, uh, that that it was important to have people read diversely. And I find that with some Muslims when I talk to them, you know, when I when I look at they be, they almost get into a school of thought or intellectuality in which they're very narrow. Yeah. No. Just on that, that's a really good point. This is something that I always say is when you, you if you're European or you're American, you can't focus on ancient manuscripts and say, look, I'm going to read Ibn Arabi because, you know, I this is my, this is my, these are my people. You're living, you're not living in the Western Hemisphere. You need to understand not only the local languages, the culture, the tradition, you have to know the canon of the place you're living in. So, so the first thing that I say to young Muslims is you can you can go read all of these heavy books and think, firstly, the way Islam is taught is was very different. We always had teachers. I mean, so ordering something on Amazon is not going to give you, you know, knowledge isn't distilled through Amazon. It mm-hmm. you need a kind of a so so beyond the fact that Islamic education A is taught differently to the way we, we learn today, which is a very European model of system of learning, is what are you reading otherwise? Are you are you reading German, Russian literature? Do you understand? Do you understand the people around you? Do you understand? Have you read anything by anybody who's not a Muslim? And and this mm. is a very reactionary answer. People say, well, well, why would I want to read something by these people? You know, there's no truth in it. And That's right. and and the funny thing is, and just a very quick biography. When I was growing up, I I didn't consider myself Muslim because I didn't. You know, why would I? It didn't. It made no sense to me. So I was reading. I remember in my lecture halls, I was reading European literature. I was reading Flaubert or you know, Oscar Wilde or you know, just starting with the big names. I wanted mm-hmm. to know what is this great civilization that is that is dominated the East because you come from a position of, well, they must be doing something right. If Europe has dominated the East, they must have done something right. And this is a it's a, it's a very, you can say, oriental perspective, but it made sense to, to my young mind. So I kind of came into Islam after learning about the rich, culture of, of Europe. So if I 
with that in mind, if I want to know more about Christianity, for example, I mean, my 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 reading of Christianity is still very limited. I've read some work by Reza Aslan. I think he did a book mm. on on Jesus, mm. and and that's and for most Muslims, when you learn about Jesus, you know, we read something about Muslim, the Muslim Jesus. We say, you know, there's a few books on this, for example. Again, mm. that's a ownership thing. Well, Jesus is our prophet. He's not, mm. you know, he's so. Just to understand the perspective of Moses and Jesus and Abraham from the Christian perspective, what would do you have a recommendation? What is what is the maybe a book or approach that you would recommend to a Muslim listener? Well, I, I think that uh, you know there are there there are a, a lot of depending on the person's interest in topic, you you can either go to um, to research gates, you know, that, that show you the, the literature or, it, you know, if you, uh, another way to get a, a, like a quick fix is to get on the internet and to do a search on, you know, if books on X. And so then you'll suddenly wind up seeing books that are published or, or sold by Amazon and others. And then you, you look at it and then you, you know, you look at the, you know, the, the nature of the book and, and, and the scholar and, and who they are. Um, I, um, you know, uh, there's so much out there. Uh, again, it's it's hard to to believe this. Well, certainly with regard to Islam, when when, when I when I in the first decades, first centuries, first decades teaching, um, you could go to a bookstore and you would see a wall of books on Christianity and even a fair wall on Judaism. And you might see one or two books. There might be a Quran or a whatever. Okay. Now on Islam, you know, you go to do a search on anything. You know, in, in my time, it was much easier to read on anything. Same thing was true of Christianity. Now there are just so many uh, authors out there. And uh, a, a lot depends on the orientation of the authors. In other words, you can have a cross-section of so-called Christian scholars. That is scholars who are Christian in background writing, but their interpretations can be significantly different. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think that I, I think it's just a matter of uh, if you're dealing with, quote, an educated person or an education, um, then they have that they have to have the patience to to go through that and 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 or at times to to write to, you know, I get people who email me at times and ask me for recommendations. And if I if I know something, I'll make recommendations on stuff and other other things I, I won't. Um, but but I think that there there is. Um, you know, we're in a whole new age now when it comes to, to scholarship. Uh, and there are just so many people out there. They're, they're relatively speaking, you could even say there you've got a spread of Muslim scholars on Islam and on Islam and women, etc. cetera. Uh, and, and there are, can be significant differences among them, right? Yeah. A, more, a more traditionalist will say, well, no, they really can't be. You know what I mean? If, it, if, it, if it's true Islam, then that's not the case. But but I think that, and so that, that, that when you get to Christianity, uh, it becomes the same situation. You know, in my time, there was a belief that, uh, that basically, uh, it wasn't just that it was only Christians were going to be saved. It was Catholics. Mm. Protestants were heretics. Yeah. So your concern would be for a friend that that you might want to talk him into it before he died or her into it before they die because yeah. you want it to be saved. Um, and uh and, and that affected the, the intellectual in terms of how you read. And, and I think that in the Muslim community, as I see it globally, 
there's a tremendous diversity developing, but the more conservative traditionalist interpretations uh, tend to still uh, dominate. Yeah, which is dangerous. And I, I've, I've seen, uh, I've seen most of your lectures. Um, this is this is how much I've I've, I've enjoyed your work. And I, I've, in one of them, you mentioned how, and I think I think I think it's titled something like the lazy Muslim couch. Like you know, we need to stop being yeah, couch potato. Couch yeah. potato. That's the one. If, yeah. if you haven't seen it, I would recommend anyone listen to watch that. And the idea, I think something you mentioned in that is if you look at American Muslims, just for example, we American Muslims don't don't know much about Christianity or Judaism. We don't they don't study it from a theological perspective. And uh, and the idea is, well, if, if, if non-Muslims are studying Islam, why isn't it happening in, in, in both directions? Mm. Now, if you go and I, I think and I, I'm glad I'm speaking to you because I, when I first heard that, my first response was, well, firstly, because traditionally speaking in the, in the Middle East, you know, the, the start of Christianity, we all knew somebody who was Christian. So if you go to Damascus today, I was in Damascus uh, about two months ago and I went to some of the oldest churches where uh, Christianity really started from, you know, there's mm. a, uh, where St. John came, St. Paul came and he had this experience. And even if you're not a Christian, most people knew Christian, mm. they knew the Greek Orthodox experience or the, or, the, or the tradition. And so, you know, you you go to the restaurant, the guy serving you Christian. So we, we even I grew up knowing something about Christianity. Well, mm. it, it wasn't very deep, but I knew what what they believed in. So when mm. I moved to the UK and, and the US, I found that there was a laziness in Muslims was that, well, we, we know who they are. They're people of the book. Mm. Right? We know the prophets are. That's enough. We don't need yeah. any, any, any beyond that. Whereas, yeah. as as a, as a Christian, the fact that I'm still having to explain Ramadan every single year to people, mm. and this has been happening for twenty plus years, mm. sometimes it gets exhausting. You think, yes, we've been here for a long time, yeah. and I'm right. telling you what Ramadan is. Yeah. Whereas I I've known about the Trinity since I was a little boy, right? Mm. So mm. there's a bit of there's a bit of pre knowledge that we we kind of grew up in because. A, we have to deny it. That's why we know it. Mm. The Quran constantly talks about God doesn't have a child, right? So we know Trinity because from a theological perspective, we have to reject it. So so we come from a position of we know it, we rejected it, that's enough. We shouldn't learn more. Mm. And yet we have to now do da'wah or you know teach mm. people about Islam. So mm. there's a bit of complacency and laziness because we've known it, we've rejected it, but we haven't really studied it. And and I find that's a, that's a bit of a lazy couch potato approach, which mm. is, why should we? We have, we have, you know, we have a version 2.0 of Christianity. We don't need to go backwards. Yeah, and exactly. So, exactly. Which, which I think is a shame because I think I think you're missing the richness of of some of the early Christian tradition, or, or um, um, especially on uh, from the European perspective. And that's something that I'm now trying to catch up on. And uh, and and that's something that I, I think we need to do more of. Um, I know, I know your time is valuable. I won't keep you too mm. long. I just want to ask you mm. one one final question, John. If mm. that's okay, from a from a combine this with Christianity and Islam, is is religion finding itself reviving in some sense in your perspective now, with 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 materialism kind of in my in my religious perspective thinking, materialism is kind of fading away. I think people are realizing there's a there's a there's a vacuum now. Um, every time there's a recession or there's a some kind of there's a crisis. Christianity or Islam or Judaism is finding new followers. Do you do you think religion is dying in in the West, or do you think there is now a revival happening? I think. Well, I think first of all, in the in the broadest sense of the term, 
we we now have to talk about religion in the West very broadly in this sense that there are people who uh, walk away from going to their institutional church regularly, but it doesn't mean that they are not um, believers. Uh, you know uh, that they are not people who who have a strong spiritual life. They they for, for many I think the UK. Uh, was earlier than the U.S. in terms of, you know, a fast move, so much so that then you have so many churches that uh, either uh, were sold or just are pretty empty or there are, you know, I remember having a group of my Muslim students, and this was a number of years ago, where they loved to go um, uh, to the U.K. and they would go to the cathedral in London, you know, the big cathedral, and they'd say, you know, you had the, you had the, you had the priest and you had this choir singing, and, and then it was just us. So I said, you mean, what do you mean by just us? They said, basically, you know, if we were eight or 15 Muslims, we were there and there weren't too many other, there weren't many Christians there, you know, or Anglicans there, you know, et cetera. Um, and, and I think that certainly we see a phenomenon in, in the U.S. where uh, while you still have a significant number of people who practice uh, their faith, whether it be Episcopalian, Catholic, Protestant, uh, but you also have a significant minority who see themselves as spiritual people, but they they don't buy into uh, the, if you will, the dogmatism of the more traditional interpretations of the religion, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I think that 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 is there. Um, I, I think that uh, it's 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 a much slower phenomenon, uh, clearly uh, for let's say Muslims in in America or Europe. But I think if you start looking at the younger generations, you're going to see while some will hold on to their faith, some will hold on to their faith with a, a broader interpretation or however one wants to word it. Uh, for others, they will want, they will, the danger is they will walk away from it. You know, it'll be, it'll be part of their culture, their cultural baggage, you know. So, you know, they can see themselves as culturally a Muslim, you know, et cetera. But it won't be, I, I remember a, a fellow, I was at a, a Muslim wedding and I think, my wife and I were the only non-Muslims. This was about 10 or 15 years ago. And the first person I was sitting with said to me, you know, my father came to this country and he established a mosque and that's the mosque that I am now what the leader of. He said, but I think we're going to have to move on and maybe create another mosque. I said, what do you mean? He said, my two kids who were in their 20s finally came home one day and said, that's it. We're not going to the mosque because the imam that we have is chutbahs, you know, don't make any sense, or he repeats the same thing. You know, he's not an engaging. Um, and, and so I think that that's one of the challenges. On the other hand, we have some very vibrant, uh, you know, uh, uh, mosques and and, and and Muslim leaders. But I, I think it really varies on way, where one is. Certainly the numbers in terms of Christianity have gone down, you know, in terms of the, you know, if you're looking at studies that are done on, uh, on the different Christian groups and and how many belong to it and 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 their their, their outlook on their faith, uh, you know, uh, many Catholic churches and and Episcopal churches and and Protestant churches are not packed, uh, you know, with people. Um, some of them are, but 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 many are not. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think the Americans are a little bit behind in terms of that, but I I think there's still strong religiosity at least amongst. American Christians that I know, which is not the case here. Um, I was in Germany last weekend, and I realized I went to the the, the major cathedral in Cologne. It's spectacular! It's, it's incredible. And and as a Muslim, 
I, I, I feel at home because it is a home house of God. And I, and I, one of my friends mm. mentioned to me in 1965, I think, when with this large migration of Turks to Germany, they they had they held the Eid prayer inside the cathedral, and 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 that was something that that won't happen today, which is which is a shame mm-hmm. because I find that we need more of that. It's it's mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not a case of we're different, but I, I I always find it sad when I when I do go to cathedrals and churches, and I think the one you meant is maybe St Paul's Cathedral in London, which is which has a spectacular history. Um, but but that's but that's interesting. That's uh yeah. Thank you so much, Don. I, I can go on on this topic for a long time, but I um, but I leave it there. And uh, just before we do, is there anything else you're working on that I, I should be looking forward to? Yeah, I uh, well, I wouldn't look forward to it. It's going to take a while. It's it's been slow, but um, our work, you know, I would say first of all, uh, in, in terms of uh, what what we do, or even in terms of when you were asking me what I do or what I think my my legacy is or whatever. I think the creation of the center at Georgetown, the Al-Walid Center for Muslim Christian Understanding, um, and also the Bridge Initiative, which deals with the issue of Islamophobia, uh, you know, effectively, we have, I think, 1.1 million people, followers on on Facebook, for wow. example. I, I think that all of that, those kinds of, as it were, these institutional things are are very important. And, and we are seeing now more of that developing uh in America, uh, among Muslims, you know, you refer to the schools that 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 you know, like Zaytuna uh, that we've seen, but also on on the West Coast, uh, you have you know a major uh, uh, outfit that studies Islamophobia, uh, you know, based at Berkeley, uh, and so all of that's um, you know, I, I think you know something to think about. I uh, am a co-editor with somebody, and it'll book, a book that'll be coming out that looks at Islamophobia globally. Uh, and it'll be, I think it'll be quite a study. And supposedly one of the things I'm, I'm doing is, uh, not as fast as I would like. I'm writing, uh, I have a contract with Oxford to write a, a semi, uh, 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 you know, a semi, uh, autobiography or not quite an autobiography, but, Basically, t- what I'm doing is, and, and the tentative title, which is not the title ultimately that I want, is Encountering Islam and Muslims. And I'm looking at watershed moments from the time that I began my study of Islam. And so, you know, from the 70s to today, and and looking at the important developments as I see it in terms of the, the watershed movements. And then within that, where was I? You know, uh, you know what what role was I playing as a, as a professor, as a consultant to governments, as a, you know, somebody developing encyclopedias, you know, that kind of stuff. So that that's that's the book that I'm working on. But that's going to take a while because um, it's both the nature of the undertaking, but also unexpectedly, I've had to come back as director of the center. Uh, and I've been out of that position and that slows slows down, you know, uh, what I'll be doing. But that that's basically it. But anytime, anytime you want to talk, I mean, you know, feel free it's uh you know it's 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 it, with, with zoom it's just easy to you know to, to to sort of engage in this kind of conversation one of the books that i think is is important and i i had forgotten about it a bit a book that i did with Daniel Daniel Magahed, you know who speaks for islam would a billion muslims really think i had forgotten i mean i thought of the data and what we have which is so important but in fact we actually have an early chapter 
that deals with Islam itself, then a chapter that deals with women in, in Islam, you know, and then works in the data. And I find that for um, for a general audience, um, and, and I, you know, and I hadn't been doing it that often for, for this, but for somebody who was who would be starting and saying, you know, I want to know something about Islam and Muslims. I think that that book kind of works because we provide, if you will, a kind of on the one hand a conceptual background, but then we provide hard data about w- what people actually believe, and that that gets the reader to take more seriously. Yeah. You know, if you're just reading a theological tract on any religion, there can be a tendency to say when you don't like what's being said, well, that's probably not the case, or most of them don't really think that. You know, I mean, I found that even some, you know, uh, in 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 Muslim. Uh, countries or audiences uh a lot of times they won't be aware of 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 the data you know and, and what really is out there even with regard to muslim belief and practice yeah. you know they'll just define it in terms of the particular country they're in you know uh, yeah. and its particular orientation you know so if you're in saudi arabia and you as opposed to if you're in let's say wherever parts of europe or you know and i think that that's important and then a final point i i, I would make and I, I do this delicately but there's been a lot of a major uh, advance is in terms of interfaith relations. When I first finished my degree, and I was in the Boston area at the time, I was asked to be in a Muslim Christian Jewish dialogue. Okay, and I said, okay, so what do you want me to do? And uh, they said, well, we want you to speak about Islam. I said, but in this, this is the dialogue, you know, trial. I, I I'm not a Muslim. And they, I said, you're in Boston. And said, well, the problem we have is the Muslims that we sort of know and are involved in our interfaith are engineers, et cetera. And we want to have it on a different plane, you know, different level. Well, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. And that's really good. But I would also caution uh, people who may be listening uh, that when you see some breakthroughs in interfaith, distinguish between the real breakthroughs. And there are lots. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed as I travel, not only in the U.S., but in many other contexts, for example, just the number of Muslims that are involved in interfaith. Okay, um, but some of the some of the splashy uh, international things that are done, uh, you want to look at. You know, who are the players, and and who's behind it, uh, yeah. so that it can. You know, one will wind up saying, "Oh, well, here was where we have a prominent Muslim and a prominent Christian," but you want to say, "Okay, is it just the two of them, or?" Are we talking about what country is funding this? Yeah, you know that that can make uh, you know make 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 a big difference, and I think that 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 is something to take uh, take seriously today. I think there's a real uh, a real if you talk about a competition for the hearts and minds, um, I'm concerned at this stage, and in and I I want to raise it because it's fairly important to me. when I got into the field, I was sure that in my lifetime uh, there would be peace in Palestine, Israel, uh, and there would be okay. Uh, and I thought to myself, I really feel sorry for those academics who've been experts working on this, or you know, etc. Their whole career—they're like people who work on a cure for a form of cancer, let's say—and they come up with nothing. I mean, at the end of the day, things don't change all that much. And um, and I think that's that's where that where we are. And, and so many countries now are crossing lines and borders in terms of the kinds of games that they're playing, you know, politically. Um, I'm critical of my own government, the Biden Blinken 
government. Uh, although I'm, you know, I, I, I voted uh, for uh, for uh, Mr. Biden. Uh, its policy on the Middle East and indirectly when it comes to, from my point of view, certain issues that have to do with Islamic culture, politics, and society is an issue. But I also look at the extent to which not only did the Arab Spring fail, and then what were the reasons for its failure, but also the extent to which authoritarian governments became more authoritarian, yeah. closing down, closing down their their systems, uh, and 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 we see some of the players that were content to be powers in their own region, you know, in their own little want to be not only the big players in their broader region there, but even internationally. And I think it's important for all of us to uh, to be aware of this because it's not just about issues about democracy; it's also issues about Islam. It's also issues that, you know, I think it's great to make statements about Muslim-Christian relations. The question is, where's the beef? Not just yeah. in the statement, but, you know, in terms of what's really sort of happening. And, and, and sometimes uh, statements are sometimes uh, really good statements are, are, are signed off by, by really prominent religious leaders who really don't necessarily know the other, they know what's being said in this document, but they have no idea of the other and what, how the other actually functions on the ground. Um, you know, I didn't intend to get into that, but I think it's a, it's going to be a big issue for ourselves because now when we say who's Islam, mm, it's going to be, you know, uh, who's Islam? Is it conservative, etc.? Not just that; it's who's funding and, yeah. and who has. Who has a take on this? You know, what is Islamically acceptable? You see it in the UK, you know, uh, with regard to the, the dangers that can come to Muslim organizations, yeah. um, the, the the influence of outside governments uh, in the way that they want to see a group like the Muslim Brotherhood for the last decade or so, you know, seen. And I remember doing, doing something at one point there where I met with a number of the Muslim organizations who said to me that they had distanced themselves from the Brotherhood. But now they were concerned because the way they saw the UK going with the reports that it was going to bring out, they suddenly realized this was going to brushstroke Muslims. Yeah. So, you know, th that's an issue to be concerned. No, it's no, this is all very relevant. I'm finding that just quickly, the whole interfaith movement, I, when I was growing up, I, I found them disingenuous. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't trust them. Firstly, because when you connected 9-11 to Islam, all of us were yelling, this wasn't about religion. So when you started doing interfaith conversations, most Muslims were thinking, I don't think this is a faith issue. We don't, it's not that we don't understand each other, because if you say Palestine and Israel is about religion, Iraq, the invasion of Iraq was about religion, or 9-11 was about religion. It was a narrative we didn't particularly want to get into because we knew you would lose. If you if you go in with the assumption that you don't agree on how much can you progress? So when you see these summits held in the Middle East by these kingdoms, I think most young Muslims were thinking, we know the basics, we understand this isn't this isn't the Crusades 2.0, this isn't the jihad version of, you know, this isn't that. This is these are political grievances, whatever they may be, without getting into that conversation. Mm -hmm. And now, just on what you just said, what I'm finding recently is, and as much as we've evolved as mature as a Muslim from a political media savvy perspective, I'm finding it quite disheartening because, for example, the Muslim Brotherhood, with the end of the Muslim Brotherhood, we're getting back into this idea of you need to all get in line, right? You can't say anything anymore about the Muslim Brotherhood. They're gone, right? If you go to Egypt, can't mention them. 
if you go to Qatar, you can't mention them. You go to Damascus, well, maybe you can mention them there, but you can't mention someone else. So now we're having to pick sides now. And I, and I find that really interesting because now you have Al Jazeera English, which is doing really well. You have Middle East Eye. You mm. have uh, TRT, mm. which is the Turkish outlet of English. Mm. And so I saw them as a positive and thinking, well, we finally mm. have voices. But now I'm finding that they're kind of following the same side as CNN and, and MSNBC. And as Muslims, well, who's behind? We know who Al Jazeera is run by, right? So we know what Qatar is doing in the Middle East. Mm. You know, so it's getting to the point where as Muslims, we finally found a voice on social media. And now I, I'm quite active on social media and, and I have a, a lot of people that, that listen to what I say and I'm finding that I'm having to almost self-censor and I don't want to because, mm. because I publish with some of these companies, right? And mm. I'm finding that I'm I'm being censored now and I'm finding that I don't, I don't know what to do. It's interesting because because we're now we're no longer tribes and uh, you know we have a voice. We don't need the Orientalists to speak for us anymore. Except we are now doing it for us for ourselves. And and and, and now these regimes who previously couldn't get their get their Arabic across to the English world mm. are now so savvy. And mm. uh, and now we're fighting against this. Well, you have this you have this liberal Zaytuna colleges in California, and you have Cambridge Muslim College in in, in Cambridge versus these so-called English outlets of Arab regimes, where does a young person listen and where do they go? Mm. And and it's creating a lot of disparity and, and mistrust amongst our, in my own community because if you if you watch something on Al Jazeera, well who is going to question it? Because we will say, well as a Muslim, I trust it. It's not CNN. I must I should trust it. Yeah. But now again, like you know, the whole Muslim brother conversation, you, you can't speak about them anymore. I mean, when I was growing up, you could speak about uh, uh, what's the what's the one in Lebanon? Um, Hezbollah. Uh, yeah, you you yeah. know, you when I would go to Palestine protest, you would see flags of Hezbollah, and that was considered okay until they were considered a terrorist regime or organization. Mm. Now you can't speak about them anymore. P same with PLO. Same with Fatah. So you know, it's 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 getting to the point where we're now becoming from the spectrum of we have all of these different voices to. Now you either follow Al Jazeera, you follow Middle East Eye, you follow, you know, whatever Muslim outlet there is, because you can't trust the West anymore. You must trust your own. So we're kind of imitating the same, uh, you know, these these large homogenous organizations of, it's, I don't know, dissent is dying. It's that's a whole yeah. different conversation. I think there's a real issue of um, whether you're conscious of it or not, self censorship yeah. with this necessity. Because, for example, given given everything that you just said, or that I might say, okay, or or all the work that I've done, I've worked in countries all over the Muslim world many, many times. You know, I've traveled in my career close to three million miles. Okay, so I've been all, but based on you know, but do I have to worry about what I say now as to whether or not I can get into a country, or it, or whether or not if I go into that country, security, and that would be the worst thing, would then you know, retain me, you know, for a while, et cetera, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and speaking out and part of, part of what as an academic, uh, but also as a person in terms of uh, what I believe I've, I've always tried to be somebody who says what I believe is whether people like it or not, who takes, you know, takes positions in my writing, et cetera. But you suddenly begin to raise this question because you know of examples where people uh, 
have had problems going into certain, you know, in, into certain countries yeah. that they never would have had in the past. Yeah, you know, and, um, and as a as a Muslim brown man growing up, I, I've had I've had the same issues in, well, not only in the U.S. but now also in the Muslim world. And um, I know that this is going to end soon, but just on that point, I when I was in Syria, I I can't speak about anything that I saw there because now I'm back in the U.K. I can't speak about this. And so as a as a as somebody who was raised on the idea of freedom of speech, mm. I find it I find it more than ironic that I I'm having to silence myself because because I'm still of the age that's considered um um well I'm still young enough to be considered a militant if I want to, you know what yeah. I mean? So so simply having a book under your name as an academic title gives you some flexibility, but um but, mm. but yeah. So Let's let's on let's end it on that and uh, and inshallah we'll we'll continue in the future. I'm gonna think of maybe something more focused next time. Okay. We can maybe pick on something that's uh, um, more niche. And if you're interested, please join us. That would be much much appreciated. Thank you for listening. You can find all the books mentioned in this episode and more in the show notes on sacredfootsteps.com. Find us everywhere else on social media at Sacred Footsteps and Twitter at S Footsteps. Thank you.